Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. left a barbecue early last night to come home and write stories because I'm unapologetic about leaving shit oh, and not going to things after COVID. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I said to uh, Nico last night at a barbecue, I said, do you want to stay? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. You stay. I'm just going to go home. Stay for as long as you want. I can come back and pick you up, but I've had enough. And we were outside and it was freezing and I'd had enough. So I left. I'm very good at leaving stuff. Kirsten and I had dinner the other night with our afternoons team. Mm-hmm. We allowed to talk about it publicly, Kirsten. You're yeah. quiet today, Kirsten. Sorry, it's because I was eating. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Let the woman eat. <laughs> and normally, I try and I find an excuse to leave, but I I didn't. I was in sometimes I switch to this other mode where it's like I'm not leaving. Oh, I'm not going ever. Do you? I'm gonna last all I'm these young it. kids. I yeah, like all these and you people. did. You you weren't the first to leave at all. I really enjoyed that because that, but that's the first time I've been anywhere in ages. So I loved being somewhere. I'm unapologetic about leaving. I don't even try to ninja. I will go up to the birthday person and say, I'm leaving. Oh, do you? Yes. I leave and I don't hide it. You declare it. I declare it. So I sneak out. No. I got in trouble. No. We need to normalize it being okay to leave when you want to go home. But I did that once to a friend who had invited me to his daughter's 21st. Yeah. And I left before the speeches and mm. it was very badly um, received. Was by it? Every- yes. Yep. They wow. weren't happy at all. Okay. At all. Uh, it was noted. And so I think you better just sneak. Because mm. if you start saying goodbye to people, then everyone wants to, oh, you're going. Yeah. And I no. always go, yes, I am. I'm coming to stuff with you. Just People to do say that. I did I that it. at my Christmas party last year. I literally stood in the middle of the dance floor and said, <laughs> "I am leaving," and I waved to everyone, including my boss, and said, "I'm going." And people were like, "No, no," and I'm like, "No, no." I'm going. I'm I am. going. Bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and then people accept that you're a leaver, and it's fine. Yeah. Like, okay. You say the barbecue. People are like, "Oh yeah, See ya. And I'm uh, like, "Yeah." Okay. It's just what I do. Anyway. Um, I'm going I to. I may do... turn my mic off at little bits to have little slurps of tea. Yes. Please do. Thank you. And eat some gingerbread and it's delicious. Okay. Again, Megan's recipe. This is the story of Nicole Collins and Lauren Barry. Uh, we're in October 1997 and we're going to a campsite on what's called the Sapphire Coast of New South Wales. And for those who listened to our last episode, I've gotten my shit together and printed single-sided. So we're in for a chat. microphone and laugh at that with a bit of gingerbread in my mouth. Enjoy. <laughs> It's a beautiful weekend, the weather is lovely, and there's a group of teenage girls who've set up camp just a few kilometres from where one of the girls lives. That girl is 16-year-old Nicole Collins. I love camping, and I feel like you're going to ruin it for me. I am. Yeah. Kirsten, tell tell Chanel how your last camping trip went. Oh, God. Um, Okay, so I went. This was probably like mm, a month ago. And it was like, we were, basically, we went with like a group of people. The plan was to go with like a group of people. And all of my friends now, they've got kids and young ones. And we were like, let's all go somewhere nice and close. We'll just usually, usually we drive like three hours, um, go camp on the Murray. 
But we thought, mm-hmm. no, let's not do that. We'll uh, keep it nice and close so that it's family friendly and all the kids can come. And okay. as the date approached, one by one, these families start pulling out. So we ended up still going to this like one hour away, bumfuck nowhere, um, the worst spot ever, no facilities, no nothing, just because, what? yeah, we ended up at the same spot. And not only that, there was a severe weather, um, like a weather warning. So there was like what? almost like a mini tornado that tore through our campsite. And at one point what? we had to like, we're all holding the gazebo down like by like each leg. No. Yeah. And then the roof sort of like peeled off it. So we took that down, put that in the car. We tried to like strategically park the cars around the gazebo so that it would like kind of stay put and like block the wind. It was pathetic. It was so embarrassing. Um, and then it started raining. So we had to like put the tarp back on. It was awful. Um, and the mosquitoes. Oh, and there were mosquitoes the size of my thumb. <gasps> Uh, and a relentless, like as soon as I got out of the car, once I arrived, they were attacking me and would not no. stop. And the only good thing about the wind was that the mosquitoes pissed off for a little while. <laughs> it was See? awful. I hate camping. But I, I do still love camping. camping. It was kind of fun. No. Hate it. Never do it. I've still don't got my bikes. Go still got them. Ever? And don't call it glamping and pretend oh, it's no. better. I used to go camping as a I'm kid. A lot every Easter, we all used to go camping, and it was real. Like when I say camping, like Kirst is saying, there were no facilities. Mm. Well, we were shitting in the ground. <laughs> like, so my dad, gross. Yeah, <laughs> my parents used to own a kitchen making company, right? Yeah, and dad used to get his tradies to knock up, you know, knock up a box, knock up this like box with a hole on the top of it and basically that would go on the back of the trailer and then we drive out fucking in the middle of no sheepyard flat yeah that's where yep. we used to go sheepyard flat and then one, when we got there all the uncles would just start digging a hole <laughs> what for a big hole for the box yeah no you and put the, the box, box on top would go over the hole and you shat in the box and you shat in the box what the hell yeah. <laughs> that's Right. And everyone shat on that box. And Yuck. there was a little tent that used to go over the box. And that was the box. And then we had another tent that was the kitchen tent, which had like this little stove and everyone put their food in it. And yeah, that's what we used to do. I don't and then we used understand. to burn the box at the Where end. We the would TV? never bring the box back. We would burn the box at the end. Where's the, the TV fire. and the couch while this is happening? No, it's not, nothing. It's so uncivilized. It was Why the, are you doing this to yourselves? It was the greatest fun. Yeah. And now that I think about it, there were so many situations in those camping trips where I could have died. Again, why are you doing this So, like, we used to beg my dad to put us all in the back of the trailer because by the time we got there, the trailer would be unpacked. We'd all sit in the back of the trailer around the edges and dad would run a rope around it so we had something to hold on to. And then he would go driving (laughs) through the paddocks and would, like, make us bump around. And we thought it was the best <laughs> yep. shit ever. But yep. now I really think that one of us could have fallen out and that got under a wheel dangerous. and Dad could have been charged with culpable driving. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember having to shower. Well, not shower, but bathe in the freezing river. It would be so cold. And Mum would be dunking me in the water to wash me and I would be screaming. Oh. <laughs> and it's not even That's not even clean water. I think I pooed my pants at the lake. Sorry? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> we were clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went there in a – so we had a combi and the side of the combi sort of like flapped up like a, te- a tent or something. And 
so I think we went there, but I must have had like some sort of tummy bug. I don't know what from, you know, probably all the shitty water and everything in their dirty pool. It's like and when I came back from Bali and I had to shit in an ice cream container. It's horrible. And it's I remember the worst. big navy blue underpants and like I was only like seven or eight. And I was mm. trying to walk to the toilets, but I just didn't make it. And then I had to, and then I didn't know whether to keep going to the toilets or whether to go back to mum and tell her that I pooped my pants. And then also there was another night where my sister, was it, I don't know, either my sister or my brother, we had bunk beds in the back of the combi and one of them threw up like literally all over it, but you couldn't see it because there was no lights. We'd wait until the morning and, and the pillow was like crusted with vomit, the sleeping, oh, I hate camping. It was don't always around my go. birthday because my birthday is April 18 and we always went camping around Easter. So oh, and your parents celebrate. would be going, oh, the weather's still good. Yeah. No. And so we'd be... Anyway, it was just a it was just a wild time. Mm. You know? Please, I'm with the show. Okay. Anyway, it's a beautiful weekend I did it of again. camping. I told you what to do. That's don't okay. I don't, to I don't me. mind. Defy me. No, sometimes I need someone to pull fight me in line. I can't get my shit. Oh, no, I don't fight back, I'm weak. <laughs> okay. So uh, the girls are all camping, uh, and they're camping close to one of the girls' uh, houses. It's it's not that far. And the area that they're in is called uh Tathra and it's a quite remote location it's a coastal village but it was an area where people felt safe so it was fine for these girls to be camping it wasn't a um, oh how could parents let their girls camp in the woods like that this is what people in that area did I just want to make sure we're not victim blaming because you know we love to do that shit in 2020 anyway so there were several campsites and the girls had a fire they were listening to music and they felt like they were safe also at the campsite was Lauren's older brother, Nathan, who was there with his mates, but they were staying out of each other's way because, you know, you don't want to have your big brother kind of around. Um, Nicole had recently broken up with her boyfriend and at one point in the night she wanted to go and find him and reconcile their relationship because the other girls had their boyfriends and she was feeling quite sad. Now, Lauren's brother left the campsite to head off to a party and one of uh, her friends wanted to tell him to take Nicole and Lauren to the party with him. She mm. she said she felt this urge to say, Nathan, don't go. Take the girls with you to the party. Um, but she didn't do it. Mm. She doesn't know why, but she said she didn't do it. So after it fell dark, the two girls decided to go to the party. And to get there, they would have to walk there with a torch. Um, their friends thought they would maybe get to Lauren's house, who was nearby, and end up staying there, but they didn't think that they would actually make it to the party because it was quite a fair it was a fair walk to get there, and they had to walk through quite a lot of forest. Not long after they left, Nathan ended up coming back to the campsite, and he realised the girls were gone. By then, it was about ten o'clock, and he'd only missed them by ten minutes. The next morning, their friends realised that something had gone wrong. For Nathan, that moment was when his parents began to ask where Lauren was and they realised she wasn't at the campsite and she hadn't stayed at home that night. That moment is the worst. Wouldn't it? Yep. The first thought was that Lauren was at Nicole's house, but they checked there and she wasn't there. Lauren's parents went to the campsite and asked the other girls if Lauren and Nicole were there. They said no. So from this point on, they just started calling everyone to see are the girls there or the girls there. They thought at this time that the girls were most likely lost in the woods. So police, dozens of police turn up and dozens of what we call SES, which is the State Emergency Service. It's a, um, I don't know what other states call them, but they're a group of volunteers who often help with searches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they wear orange overalls and they can go here, there and anywhere. 
to help look for people. After two days, media reports began and the story is that the girls have just gone missing without a trace. Um, Here is Lauren's mum, Cheryl, speaking to Channel 7 at the time. Her voice is followed by a police officer who spoke to the media. It's a pain that can't be described, I don't think. A, A total loss, emptiness can't get warm you're just cold all the time because um, it's just a pain that is totally undescribable until you've been through it you have no idea what it's like this stage we've got two avenues of inquiry one is that they the two girls have left the area voluntarily and secondly that they've been forcibly taken from the area but after weeks of searching there was nothing. The only sign of life they found was a jacket that belonged to Lauren, but with no other evidence or sign of life, the decision was made to stop looking for the girls. Now, when I say stop, they wound down the physical search and it became more of a behind-the-scenes forensic search with detectives looking into what could have happened to the girls. So they're looking at all possibilities of the case and the lead detective gets a call from a local copper who gives him two names, Lindsay Beckett and Leslie Camilleri. He tells detectives that these two guys who live in a nearby town called Yass were capable of abducting the girls. He had no evidence, but it was just a hunch. He said they were capable of doing it. Camilleri and Beckett worked together when it came to crime. Whatever Camilleri told Beckett to do, he would do. He was described as a bit of a lapdog. Mm-hmm. Go and do this and he'd just go and do it. Beckett was a career offender with a long rap sheet. He was the product of a rape and he grew up amongst violence and um, Camilleri also had a huge rap sheet. They were both drug users. So the police start looking at these two men. They pick up Beckett first and we do have a little bit of his police interview from November 1997 um, from Channel 7's crime investigation program. You're about to hear him talk about a television, a pink television to be exact. Now, this television had been seen by some locals uh, on the side of the road and it had been reported. They said they'd seen a pink uh, TV and then other people said they'd seen it and then later it was gone. But they noticed it because it was pink. Yeah, that's unusual. Yes. So the detectives start thinking about this TV and they think that perhaps if you wanted to abduct two girls and you had a TV in your car, you might need to take that TV out to make some space. So they just kept that up their sleeve. Here's that audio here. So the are opposite us on the other side of the table. Uh, is Mr. Lindsay Beckett. Lindsay, do you agree that apart from the three people I've described, there's no one else in the room? That's correct. And do you agree just looking at the monitor there, it's 11.58 and a number of seconds? Yes. Okay. We met Mr. Beckett and had a quite a long conversation with him. He was the most relaxed person I've ever met. He actually had his feet up on the chair in the interview room as if we just didn't care. I held back the question about the television until quite near the end. And you could sense there was a change in his demeanour. He was obviously a bit uncomfortable when that came up and didn't have a good answer. Can you recall the television being in the back seat at all at that time? Can you recall getting rid of those bags and stuff like that? Can you recall getting rid of the television at any time during that trip? No. What police later work out is that the pair had been given that TV as payment for a drug deal. 
And they eventually track down the pawnbroker who'd accepted the TV and they confirm, yes, the TV was pink. Okay. Which is unusual. Correct. I don't think I've ever seen a pink TV. No. no. But what this meant was that they could place the men in the area. Ah, gotcha. Because they knew that the men had been <laughs> yeah. given the TV. They knew the TV was seen on the side of the road. Yeah. So they could work out that they were there. So next they needed to speak to Camilleri and they were able to speak to him because he'd been brought into custody for breaching bail. He was asked about the TV in an interview and as soon as they asked him about the TV, he went dead silent. Oh, okay. He refused to cooperate from that point and when he was taken back to his cell, he was freaking out, banging his head on the wall saying they know about the fucking television. So police go back to Beckett and this time their approach is... Hang on, Beckett was the... The first one. The puppet master? No, he's the lapdog. Okay. He's the yep. lapdog and they, they think that he's probably their best chance yep. because he's vulnerable, yep. easily influenced. And so the first interview they've done with him is very, can you tell us about this? Can you tell us where you were? Yeah. Can you... This interview, they go in with A4 pictures of the two girls and slam them down in front of him. I've seen how that happens on the telly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he will not look at them. Mm. He turns them over and pushes them back. Oh. Mm. After a bit of back and forth, Beckett says, I'll show you where the girls are. Oh. He took them to the bodies, which were deep in the forest, around 200 kilometres from the campsite, and he told them what happened. He said the two girls were walking towards the road from coming out of the forest at the same time the two men had driven past them. The men began to talk to the girls, but no one knows for sure if the girls were forced into the car or if they happened to get into the car. Um, and it's at that point they believe the pink TV was taken out. Beckett says uh, the four of them went looking for a beach party, but they couldn't find it. And then they went looking for a festival that apparently the girls had agreed to going to, no, I don't believe that. but they demanded to see their friends first. They wanted to go back and tell their friends where they were going, mm -hmm. which seems like to me that they were worried, obviously. Yeah. yeah. That didn't happen though, because at that point, the two men pulled out knives. They eventually stopped the cars and the girls were pulled out. They were raped repeatedly for hours. I need to remind you at this point that these girls are 14 and 16 years oh. old. Mm. Um they think that they were raped by both men for about nine hours. They were tired um, and made to walk from uh, an area from where they were down towards a creek. Camilleri told Beckett to drown one and stab the other. Lauren was drowned. She was taken down to a kind of watering hole area. She was fighting for her life and he was pushing her head under the water while Nicole was watching. Um, he then stabbed Nicole in the throat and she died. They went on to burn the evidence. They ditched the knives and headed home. Camilleri tried to distance himself from the murders uh, when he was asked about it, saying that he wasn't there when the two girls were killed, even though he'd instructed Beckett yeah. on how to kill them. Beckett pleaded guilty straight away. He received uh, life with 35 years and agreed to give evidence against Camilleri. Good. But Camilleri didn't plead guilty and his defence was that he'd taken drugs and fallen asleep and he wasn't involved in the murders at all. <sighs> DNA found at the scene showed semen on one of the girls that belonged to Camilleri and that firmed up the story that Beckett had told police because at this point they're kind of taking what Beckett says with a grain of salt. Mm. Um, but finding the semen... Well, what reason has he got to make up? 
the yeah. story. Yeah. Well, it's got a huge rap sheet, so they're probably just yeah, a bit. Maybe. Mm. Now, not only did they find DNA, they also found another woman who was picked up by the pair before these murders. She had been locked in the back seat of the same car, and they knew it was the same car because the the doors actually wouldn't open at the back from the inside. Yeah. Um, she was driven down dirt roads at knife point, but she had escaped by saying she needed to go to the toilet and she actually ran through the woods and hit in a hid in a wombat burrow oh, wow. while the two were walking around the woods looking for her. Wow. She made a police uh, statement, but she later disappeared after she made the statement, but police were able to track her down and they were able to bring her to court and get her to testify. Oh, she as, must have been terrified. Can you imagine? Wow. They were able to get her to court to testify what had happened to her and that gave them evidence. More, it just backed their story because they'd done this to another woman. What a legend. How brave was she to oh, do that? Oh, incredible. incredible. We've got more audio here. This is Lauren's brother, Nathan, speaking about his experience at court, um, specifically inside the Supreme Court. And I think he gives a very raw and accurate version of how family members feel in court. And after that, you'll hear a female voice of a woman called Sarah. And she was a friend of the girls. And she, too, uh, shares her experience of court. I remember my father holding me back and also a security guard behind us holding me back. Um, and just listening to what the story and and someone reading out what he had done to my sister and Nicole. Um, yeah, every every word was like a dagger in your body. And I was sort of feeling everything she went through, both the girls went through, and, and uh, trying to fathom and understand what it must have been like. It sort of just tears open the wounds even more. They had even, hadn't even had a chance to, to heal. As I stood in the witness stand, um, I do remember Leslie Camilleri was staring at me. Um, and it was a horrible, horrible feeling knowing that this monster who killed my friends was metres away from me and staring at me. I do remember he would be... Um, you know, purposely putting his hands up in yawning so everyone in the court could see him. You know, he had no remorse for what he'd done and for anyone else in the room. Eventually, a jury found Camilleri guilty of both murders and he was sentenced to life without parole. Now, I've never done this before, hmm. but there is a part two to this story oh. and I'm going to do it on the next episode. Oh, oh cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Mm. Kirsten. Oh, it's God. not done there for Mr. Camilleri. I can tell you that much, but I've split it into two. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But just leave it with the fact and remember wow. that he has gone away for life. Oh, episode 110. Yes. Come on down. I know. Oh my God. Oh, um, but isn't it interesting, like, it started with a hunch? Like, they didn't know. Yes. That those yeah. people, but they, they, they trust their gut and they're like, if something's gone dodgy, these yeah. guys have something yeah. to do with it. These guys are shit out. Yes. Look but at them first. People yeah. don't listen to their own instincts. And I, I was just thinking again of that, um, the Princess Diana thing. She knew she would never be queen. She yes. She, and she says it several times. She just knew it. Mm. There's a lot of times you just know. You've got to listen to mm. those little voices in your head. Can you link everything back to Princess Diana? I think that's what you probably. <laughs> Every episode she gets a run. Yep. She also liked the woods. Mm. She probably went camping every now and then. <laughs> I don't think she did. 
Remember they didn't remember Camilla said, Don't are you going to be hunting? Are you going to be hunting? Are you going no, to be hunting? I shan't, I shan't go hunting. I shan't. No. Uh in <laughs> I am taking you to May twenty thirteen. Well, oh, I thought this was older than that. Again, it's a story that I wrote a long time ago, so I'm getting a surprise. <laughs> By my own words. In May 2013, a man named Trago, T-R-A-I-G-O, Trago, Trago Andretti, he turned up at a police station in British Columbia. I don't know where British Columbia is. Where do you reckon it is? Because give me a second to Google. Sorry, maybe. I was eating I think it's, biscuits. No, is it Canada? Sorry. Well, yeah. I think it is, yeah. Kirst, you're you, so full of knowledge. She is. very. There are just times where you and I are sitting here. Mm. With bamboozled, heads. yep, and Kirsten just spits out the answer. Kirsten is an intellectual. That's why sponge. she's such a good executive producer. Yes, because you need someone that can yell shit in your ear and just know. Yeah, it's Canada. Yeah, she doesn't yell at me enough. Is it actually? Sure. Oh, that was a... yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Canada. Give me I more facts in my head, please, while I'm on Seriously. air. Seriously, thank you. Sorry. Can you make me smarter than I actually am, please, Kirsten? Thank you. So, Trago Andretti turns up at a police station in British Columbia. He told them that he had killed his wife. Now, her name was Jennifer McPherson. She was 41. She'd been working with him as a caretaker of a resort. And he confessed to the police. He said, it's as bad as it can be. So. Sure. He had tied her to a tree. Oh, God. Strangled her. Cut her body into pieces. Oh, Sorry, Kirst, I just realised my microphone was in a bad position. Is that better? It's no different. Um, <laughs> like, it's fine. There was no <laughs> issue, but as you were. Cut her body into pieces and placed some of those body parts into lobster traps around what? the island. Sorry? Yep. While videotaping what he did. Sorry? Mm. So while And then he... And then he went and told the cops that he went told the cops that. Yeah. Now, as he confessed to killing Jennifer, he also gave police. Yes, yes. If I'm going to murder someone, Mm. and then I, I think I'm, I'm going to go and I think I'm going to murder them, and then I'm going to go and confess. Right. I am doing like your most basic murder. I'm going to how, shoot them, how, I'm going to stab them once, here? I'm going to stab them once. Because well, you can't go into a police station and say, I've... Tied my wife to a tree. I tied her to a tree, then I cut her pieces, up, then I put, put her the in lobster into... traps, and then blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. You know? Well, because Just that keep level... keep it simple. Yeah, but that level of madness is mm. the kind of person who's also going to go to the cops and say, guess what I just did? As though it's nothing because they're not right in the head. I really enjoyed your, guess what I just did? Hello. Guess what I just did? Yeah, I know. So, and a lawyer would be loving it too. Yeah. The more crazy, the better. I, you're probably right. Like your basic murderer, the one who, like the... Your stocks, your base model. model driving base me crazy. Model I couldn't stand it. I yep. just stuck an ice, ice pick between his eyes. Mm. That's, they're, they're going to feel bad. They didn't mean to do it. They just got pushed to it. Yeah. We're not as sharp as we are during the year. I reckon it's the end of the year. We're not being as hard dragging, on criminals. Dragging my body over the finish line. Mm. So as he confessed to killing Jennifer, he also gave police details of another woman that he had killed years earlier. And he even drew them a detailed map of where they would find body parts at a house that he'd lived in in Point Douglas in Winnipeg in Canada. 
Um, there they found the skull of 36-year-old Myrna Letondre, who had disappeared seven years earlier, and her other remains were never located. So they only ever found the skull. When the skull was found, Myrna's cousin, Sydney, says that she just started crying. She said it was just like, it just made everything so real. But at the same time, it was kind of a relief because now I got some closure. So Andretti, who also goes by the name Dylan Harold Grubb. Grubb. Mm-hmm was sentenced to life with no chance of parole for at least 25 years for killing his wife, Jennifer McPherson. Can I just tell you what's happening internally in me as I'm reading this story that I prepared sometime during the year? Yes. I'm now thinking, how am I already up to the sentence when there's at least two or three pages still to go? Something's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) There's more to come that I've written in this story. Right. I'm just thinking, well, we don't normally get to the sentence to the very end, so something... I have several pages left. So Andretti faced court on the charge of murdering Myrna. This is the second one, not his wife. Yeah. Um, And the details of what he did to her were revealed. He admitted that he strangled Myrna with a nylon cord. Then he carried her to the bathtub and slit her throat slowly letting her bleed out. Once she was dead, Andretti cut her body into several pieces. He flushed some down the toilet. He put others in the bin. He kept her severed head, which he wrapped. Are you going to hit the Terry Bell? Why are people (laughs) keeping severed heads all the time? Because you can't get rid of them. The other bits chop up. But at least try. Pardon, Kirst? At least try to get rid of it. I agree. But how? How? So we had that email the other day from was from Sweden, Sweden, which suggested putting it in with the thing of basketballs and throwing all the basketballs away, you know, because people would just go, oh, there's another round object in there. Yeah, that was hey, very you good. can't get rid of skulls. You need to know someone with an incinerator. Even then, they always find the skull. There's always, it's always there. You look at Time Team, any of those archaeological shows, what, what do they dig up? It's always the skull. Teeth are missing sometimes. Time the Team? Skull. Yes. Don't you watch Time Team? No. Oh, my husband loves it. Time Team. It's his happy place. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. I feel like it always has to be an out in the ocean thing. Yeah, mm. probably. Possibly it's a trophy in some cases, but I think it's just too hard for them and they're obviously in a panic and cutting things up and flushing things down to Yeah, the panic would be real. Yeah. So he kept the head, wrapped it in plastic bags, buried it under the floorboards in the basement. He told the court, I thought I loved her. The day before it happened, I had no idea it was going to happen. Oh. It seems in hindsight as if my mind was absent, I was observing my body. Oh, out-of-body experience. Yes. My auntie, who I will happily say is the biggest bullshitter of all time, yes. right? She, like, she's so dramatic. Everything is a, is fucking dramatic with her. <laughs> she has claimed to have an out-of-body experience. Let's hear it, right? Yeah. Where did she go when she was doing it? She believes that she went in for surgery and she was floating above the room in the surgery watching herself getting operated on. No. And she also believes that spirits tell her when the queen's going to die. When's the queen going to die? I don't know. I think it was meant to happen 10 years ago. I reckon the queen's got another couple of years in her at least. And I'm totally fine about saying this about this auntie because I I don't talk to her and she's not invited to the wedding. So 
if she could just see this into the pot. Yeah, jam that up. Yeah, two yeah. things at the Terry Bell. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Trego Andretti. I'm probably. I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear acted as his own lawyer in court. I love when they do yes. that, though. It's so exciting. Let's see whether he did a good job or not. Okay. Let's okay. see. He described himself as evil. How's that case going for yeah, you, Shana? Self-deprecating. He said he had no explanation as to why he became a sadistic multiple killer. That doesn't fare well. It's not a good no, defence. No, doesn't show it? remorse. Uh, he said, I don't understand why things happened the way they did. Oh. He urged the judge to give him the maximum sentence. Okay. I have seen that happen before. Really? Yeah. I've, I've told you about the lady that I saw once who was smashing her foot on the table in court. See, you tell no. me off for withholding things oh, and you're, you've never told us this. So she wanted to be taken into custody. It was her first, I don't know what she did. It was like some petty stealing situation, right? Yeah. And she's sitting in the dock. So, you know, think about sitting at your kitchen table. Yeah. And they're saying, oh, we, you know, ma'am, we think that you just probably need some counselling and some help, but, you know, it's, it's probably likely that we'll, we'll let you go. Yeah. And she's like... No, I will take me into custody. <laughs> and the magistrate's like, sorry, ma'am, if you could just stop talking. I'm going to talk to your lawyer. We don't need to hear from you. As I was saying. I would just hate get... that in court, by the way. I don't want to be told that I can't talk. Yeah, yeah. So I'm... she lifts her leg. Oh. Yeah. She gets her leg up. So from underneath, you can imagine what I'm doing. Yeah. She smacks her what is this, your heel, heel. onto the table. Yes. And she's doing it three or four times. Bang, bang, bang. Ow. What about now? Can I go to jail now? <laughs> well, <what's laughs> and it? everyone's looking at each other like, oh, she just really needs some help. They're like, no. What was her no. thought process? What did she She think? wanted to be unruly, so she would go to jail. Oh. And so then she just starts sweeping her whole leg. So one leg's still <laughs> under the table, other leg, she's sweeping it what across she the... Uh, I think she was wearing a long skirt. Oh, dear God. Yes, so and she's going, the full ham sandwich. take me to jail. And she's smashing everything. And like, God love her. She just needed a bit of help. You know what I mean? She yeah. did, probably really didn't need to go to jail. But I would have flipped the table if that, if you, if she that was, was yeah. me. She well, was they eventually to took her away, right. but she was released. I don't think she was very happy about it. But. Yeah, look. Probably, you know, when the when the lawyer does take over, that's for your own good. Yes. And Trago's not doing a great job. Okay. Uh, urged the judge to give him the maximum sentence. Sure. Which would be to raise parole eligibility to 25 years. So the judge declined. Okay. Uh, a bit unusual, he said. He was given a life sentence with no chance of parole for at least oh. 20 years. Now, okay. the Crown Attorney, Sheila Leinberg, said that, uh, she said to the court, when he tires of his girlfriend or his wife and no longer wants to spend time with them. He offs them. Exactly. Rather than leave the situation, he kills them. One cannot easily or even adequately describe the sheer brutality and inhumanity. So Andretti's sentences were to be served. I'm still mystified as to why there's three pages to come. Yes. It's like when you meet someone on a date, right? And you say... Oh, so what's your, you know, what was your last relationship like? You yeah. go, oh, you know, like, oh, I do get a bit jealous and blah, blah, blah. What do you bit. do? Oh, well, when I get sick of, um, yeah, the women that I'm into, I just murder them. Would yeah, right. you reckon he, would you like he the would veal? tell? He would tell. Yeah, because he's crazy. Yeah. Why do you have all these lobster crates? <laughs> yeah, how did you he know, know that they were there? Yeah. That's weird. Uh, so he was sentenced to serve all those sentences. Can go too many S's in that sentence concurrently? Yes, thank you. It's unlikely a parole board will ever let him out of jail when he does become eligible in two thousand and thirty-eight. Wow. 
Queen's Bench Justice Chris Martin says Andretti has no hope of rehabilitation. Mm. He said there was an absence of humanity here, simply no decency in this situation. So Myrna Latondre's family told the court they're angry with the police and the justice system. They yeah. say that if Andretti had been arrested for her death back when it happened, yes. he wouldn't have been able to kill again. It's always the way. They said he was viewed as a potential suspect, but police never searched his home or scrutinised him in 2006. So Andretti admitted he has been prescribed medication for depression over the years, Mm -hmm. but he would often stop taking it, including at the time of both the murders. He also had been involved in an accident prior to Myrna Latondre's killing, and he suffered a head injury. There it is. Mm. After being hit by a truck while working as a bike courier. So I've even drawn a line, but then there's more. So something else is going to happen. So after he spent four years in jail, in 2018, at around 7 o'clock in the morning on July the 2nd, correctional officers found Trago, Trago Andretti's body stomach down. What? Legs apart. What? With his left arm hanging off the bed and there was a wound on it. So they said that they checked every hour through the night and Andretti appeared to be sleeping. But they did admit that he hadn't changed positions through the night. There was a pen in his right hand and a journal nearby. And under the bed, there was a pool of blood in a basin that had been made out of toilet paper, blankets and plastic bags. What? Authorities couldn't find a blade that would have caused the gash on Andretti's arm. They think that he might have used a blade to cut himself but then flushed it down the toilet. At the hearing into his death, the staff said they had attempted CPR on Andretti, although he was obviously dead at the time. When they were asked why they did CPR on a dead person, they said, I guess we were concerned about optics and having blame laid. Mm. Andretti had left two notes. One said, what a fine day to die. The other one said, it's tough to leave. Maybe I won't, but there's one cut I'll try. Now, I would like to point out he's got... Not very good writing skills because oh. when he says but theirs, he hasn't put the apostrophe. Okay. And one cut aisle, he hasn't put an apostrophe in that oh. either. It's a problem with apostrophes, mate. When they were clearing out his cell, they found a calendar with his initials and DOA written on the day that he died, mm, so dead on dead arrival. arrival. Uh, the basin, the notes, they couldn't be seen from the cell window, so they weren't found until the officers went into the cell. So they're obviously just peeping through the little flap and not yeah. checking in properly. So the jury at his inquest came up with four recommendations to make sure that the same thing didn't happen again. So one was mandatory health training for all staff, better communication so that staff could understand inmates better. The jury recommended there be better communication between mental health providers and correctional officers mm-hmm. for officers to rotate less frequently to different units. Uh, oh, so that would be something. So if someone was taking over, they wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, look, yeah. I've checked him 10 minutes ago. Maybe that wasn't being done properly. Um, the inquests do not find criminal responsibility, but they just determine who died and where and how. Uh, since Andretti's death, policy changed at RPC, which I'm assuming is the facility where he was being held. So now managers do random reviews on how correctional officers do their checks on inmates. Sounds to me that even if they had been doing the proper checks on him, yeah. he had disguised what he was up to True. so well that they wouldn't have noticed. They wouldn't have noticed. Unless they'd completely gone into his cell. Yeah. I would not want to be the officer to do that with a sleeping inmate. Would you want to, like, unlock their door, no. creep in, not check if they're own. okay? No. Don't like it. Too dangerous. Hmm. Uh, should we do a couple <laughs> of quick feedbacks? 
Take your pick. Okay. I've got one from Tiffany. She says, thanks so much for the mention in episode 105. I felt I so that. chuffed. Tiffany sent us the picture of a head in a jar. Yes. Yep. I've been listening to you since you began and love every episode. The banter is the best. The banter is the best. It's true. The rapport. <laughs> <laughs> the chemistry. You make me giggle on my drive into work and remind me of my banter I have with my best friend since kindy, which is kindergarten, who is also obsessed with dead bodies. When we were our, when we were about 10, our mums used to clean our parish church. We're getting into a story here. Right. It was old and creepy, circa 1870s. One day, a new little kid came with her mum – my friend and I never cleaned. They just mucked around like little kids do. Anywho, on this day, my friend Kirsten wrapped me up in an old rug we found in a side room. Did you get excited then, yeah. Kirsten? Because you heard your name? Yeah. Kirsten, everyone's friend. She went and got the little girl and pointed at me, rolled up in the rug, and told her that I had just died. I then got a fit of giggles. Kirsten told the little girl it was just my dead nerves kicking in, that she had death twitches. The little girl took off and never came back to clean ever again. She's like, is this mean or funny? It's funny. Oh. I don't know, but I can totally imagine you two doing the same. Keep up the good work. Yes. Yeah, I can't judge that because I did dead bodies in the lift, which I've told you about, where we all <laughs> laid on the ground a couple of times, actually. I pretended to be I dead. I don't know so. if I've – we only ever used to do the dead thing in the pool. Oh, did you pretend to be drowned? Yes. That's horrible. Yeah. That is a horrible thing As to kids, do. we used to do it. But I always sucked at it because I could never float face down yeah. for a long time. You can't twitch. There's another feedback on the bottom of this. Right. It's from Willow. Yes. Who has sent us a photo of Liam Neeson's penis. Oh, bless you, Willow. Yes, she has. Yes. She said, Google naked Liam Neeson. It's on Reddit and he's running and it's all him. Yep. And it's not even angry and it's in, it's like, you know, resting form, running, mm. resting, <laughs> and just, you can't even imagine. I had a friend once. Oh, no. Go on. Can I tell it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Her husband was a. No, I need to be very careful. I've got a story too that I need to be I'll careful. I'll just say with. sportsman. I won't specify okay. what sport he played. Um, very tall. And she told me that it actually, like, she couldn't. It was too much. They ended up divorcing. Oh, because it was too much? Too much. Enormous. Wow. Too much. Like, and, you know, at first, a bit of fun. Wahoo, I'm go. going to disguise this story. I so don't. I know someone. Yes. No, it's going to be too obvious. Go on. <laughs> With okay. a tiny one? No, it's a story about Nicholas. So. <laughs> <laughs> God. So he's into cycling <laughs> lately. <laughs> and he wears a lot of lycra. Yes. It's very visible. <laughs> and he often says to me, like, can you? And I'm like, yes, mate, I can see all of it. <laughs> anyway, so we were out and we ran into someone we know and Nicholas has lost a lot of weight in ISO. He's got really fit. Right. And this person, who is an older woman, said to him, oh, you're cycling, you look great, you look wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you lost a lot of weight. And he was like, yeah, and she goes, as long as you don't lose it from down there. <laughs> And pointed at his pain in the, the lycra. 
Oh, my God. And Nicholas almost backed out of the facility with his legs I crossed. Like, he was so mortified. And I just said, oh, well, we're just, you know, you're a hit with the older ladies. Just take it. What could he do? Can he? Nothing. Double underpants? I, I just think any man that wears lycra, you can't. What do you do? Did you see Greg Norman? What? <laughs> Did you see that? Dee's eyes just went the size of dinner plates. Everyone saw it. No, it went viral. Surely you saw it. I didn't see it. Oh, my oh, God. Do you want me to go- okay. Yeah, Google Greg Norman I think it's on penis. his Instagram. Like, I think he posted it, right? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's walking along the beach with The, the comments t- are the best, right? Actually, the yes. Greg Norman. Yes, he did. It's the comments penis. you have to look at. It's the best bit. Go to his Instagram. Oh, my yep. God. Yep. I know. Recent He's looking comments. healthy, isn't he? Wow. Yeah, can you imagine that when it gets up and about? I haven't looked at I was just I just Googled it. I didn't look on his page. Who well I was Greg Norman. Another on friend. Well it it was everywhere. Everyone couldn't believe what was going on. Um, <laughs> I had another friend who was with a girlfriend, I think they were overseas. Anyway, they both were at a bar, a pair of bikes picked them up and her friend wanted to be with one of them. <laughs> I know, the comments are the best. That's not a knife. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. That's so good. So the two girls, so one of them wanted to go with one of the guys, so my friend got stuck with the other guy. Yeah. And so her friend went off to the room with the guy she'd been picked up by, and my friend went off, you know, ended up in a room with the guy she wasn't that into, but she was on holidays, whatever. She was young and whatever. So, um, So he started kissing her, and she said she put her hand down in his pants, she said, I kid you not, his penis was, <laughs> she said, not even an inch. What? Not, she was I feeling around. I thought you were going to say it was huge. Yeah. No, the opposite. And she panicked. So she had it, she said, not even an inch, just a stub of a penis. It's very unfortunate. Like, There's wi- more. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. I was just going to say yes. that women definitely have self-image problems yes men must have this too i felt for this guy okay so terrible what can you do about that i don't know so she's she's got a hand on it right she's panicking inside a percentage of her palm on it yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. it's it's bumping against her fingertips or something i don't know where she's thinking he's still kissing her but he's obviously aware that she's she's now on she's and this has got to be his peak performance Yes. Well, point. whatever. He's just a guy at a bar that's picked up a chick on holidays, okay. you know, so yeah. that's all the scenario. Um, she panicked. She's thinking, running through in her head things that she could possibly do with it. She was oh. actually thinking, well, how do, What? How can I, what am I sure. supposed to okay. do with it? Yeah. Like, how will I sit on him? Will yes. I, what will I do? What will happen? I don't know, but she, the, everything she thought of, she thought there's not enough to work with here. Okay. So and so... Um, she made some lame excuse yes. like, oh, I, look, I might go. And he got angry because he obviously <sighs> has had, had this been, before. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he cracked it with her and got, it actually got really nasty. So she just said, that's it. I'm going. I'm getting out of here. But she felt like she had done something wrong that she didn't make a little have a go at it. What would you do? You're well, right. you can't do anything. Like if you have small boozies as a woman, you can go and get that fixed yeah. if you yes. want to. It's not fixed. You don't need to be fixed, but you can get it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 You, some... you can get some. If you want it. Yeah. 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 You've got options. Boltons, correct. Yeah. yeah. What do you do if you've got a I small don't peeny? Know. I don't know. They do do extensions, but I just don't. What? Yeah, they do penis extensions, but I don't know how it works. 
And I'm also concerned about... It's, oh, we're getting this into a whole This is very typical us. Mm. Yes, I know. We've ended up here. <laughs> it's always with the poos and wheeze, isn't it? Um, look, we love you. I, have, I hope you're having a lovely <laughs> summer break. And uh, looking forward to part two of Chanel's... <laughs> thing and if you're not blessed downstairs well sorry guys we think of you Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com